Hello, hello, and welcome back to Legend of the Glorio Heroes, your premier Legend of the Galactic Heroes recap podcast, where we watch the original OVA and then talk about it. As always, I'm your host, G, and with me, as always, reporting for duty and fit for active service, Eero. Hi. Hello. Are you ready, uh, inside Eero? <laughs> Yeah, I'm all prepared. I'm all prepared for the uh, FPA's invasion of Empire territory. Yeah, how is uh, how is how how are our uh, logistics looking? Are we well supplied? <laughs> uh, Do we have a concrete plan for this invasion? I think it'll be fine. I think uh, as one as we liberate the peoples of the Empire, they'll provide us with all of the things we need because they're so dissatisfied with imperial rule. Indeed, this podcast just be lining up to give us yeah. supplies. Yes, this podcast is not fueled by food or oil. It is fueled by rhetoric and a belief <laughs> in the ability that we are bringing liberty to the world. One podcast at a time. Uh, indeed, indeed. Well, welcome back, everybody. As it might as it as it might sound, we uh <laughs> we have an interesting trio of episodes uh, this week to talk about. Yeah. Those being 13, 14, and 15. Eero, do you have the uh, the titles of those? All right, episode 13, When the Rain Comes. Episode 14, Liberation of the Frontier. And episode 15, The Battle of Omliter. Yes. What an interesting trio these are. You know, the first two of these are kind of a an interesting uh, prelude that does an effective job of building up to episode 15. And... I have a feeling we've we've got a lot to say about yeah, episode fifteen. Boy. So, uh, shall we just uh, roll right into it? So uh, yeah, episode thirteen. Uh, when the rain comes, yes, the invasion has begun. Indeed, and uh, and uh, yeah. Reinhardt's strategy is while well, they're coming in big straight line, let's uh, let them overextend and then cut their supply lines. And also cut off all of our citizens from resources. Yes. Because the FPA is claiming this war as a war of liberation. And so they're obligated morally to uh, help the citizens who are starving. Because of my actions. <laughs> well, yes. Yes, as as Eero kind of gets into, uh, Reinhardt comes up with a pretty ruthless, if not cunning plan um, for the FPA invasion, realizing that because the FPA have the burden of of being the the liberator, the the one with the supposed moral high ground in this war, that means they are also burdened with feeding and supplying all the people that they are quote unquote liberating. And Reinhardt plays on this. So he yes, he 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 uh, his plan is to basically have a all essential military personnel kind of retreat from these like you know frontier planets and take all the food with them, leaving the imperial citizens to starve. And this first episode kind of goes down to the ground level with that. With um, Commodore Ulrich Kessler. Yes, Kessler is commanded. He, he is the one who receives the order to to carry out this plan, and he definitely has some reservations about it, but. You know, orders are orders. Orders are, are indeed orders. And so he visits, um, I don't remember the planet, but it is a planet 
owned by Viscount Kleingelt, who is uh, an elderly gentleman taking care of his uh, his dead son's wife and child. Planet itself might be Kleingelt. Uh, oh yeah, <laughs> it might be. <laughs> uh, I would believe it's it. Like land, at least, right? Yeah, yeah, I could definitely believe that they they would name their shit like that. You know, uh, I mean, I can't complain. You know, if there was a planet out there called G, you know, I would, <laughs> I would own that. But, uh, but yes. Yeah, so Kessler lands on the planet, kind of meets with Kleingout, and is like, uh, I don't really know how, I don't really know a better way to put this, but we kind of <laughs> need all your food, <laughs> and we have a deadline. Yes, we also have a fleet with all its guns aimed directly at your planet. But we would really hate to have to use those. Don't want to do the easy way or the hard way. <laughs> yeah, basically. And, like, you can see Kessler is really trying to to be the better man here, but, like, it's very hard to hold anything resembling a moral high ground when you're essentially saying, give us your food or die. Yep. But, uh... And, uh, complicating things, Kessler's yeah. childhood friend is, uh... Has apparently married into the Kleingelt family. Yes. And has her son living at this mansion. Yeah, yeah. And uh, it's definitely one of those things that like feels like one of those kind of contrived conveniences because, <laughs> like, oh, you, you know, you live in the fucking far-flung reaches of space. You just happen to revisit the same planet your childhood sweetheart lived on. But also, I do like to point out that Kessler assigned everybody, like, multiple parts of his fleets to different planets and he chose specifically to come to uh we'll call it planet Kleingelt. and so yeah. you know let's be honest there was probably a part of him that was kind of thinking that maybe he might run into her yeah but, totally. um, but yeah yeah and i think more than anything this episode is kind of an interesting it's an interesting contrast to like the benamunde episode uh, uh prior in that we, we get this is like the Low-level Empire citizens, right? Yeah, but not only that, but we also see what the leadership is like, you know, in these kind of more far-flung, like, areas further away from the capital. You know, the capital itself is kind of this this den of decadence and intrigue and, <laughs> you know, conspiracy. Whereas, like, Kleingelt, at least based on what they show us, seems to be a largely decent guy for, like, again... I think noblesse oblige is bullshit. Like I think that that's what I think that's what the rich and powerful tell themselves they're doing to justify the bullshit they do. Oh yeah, absolutely. But I think that Kleingelt perhaps it comes closer to living up to the ideals of what that means, like to use your power and status to benefit your people. Like he seems mostly concerned with like how are my citizens going to deal with this rather yes. than. How am I, I said, my mansion going to deal with this? Yeah, yeah. Like it's it's very important, I think, in the way it's phrased that the, the that Kleingelt's immediate protests against Kessler's uh, ultimatum is is not what about me? You know, uh, am I going to get off world? Like, you do you have like room for me and my family? No. His first concern is what about my people? Like, what the fuck do I tell them? Do I just tell them, hey, the empire is here? Load all your food into their trucks? You know. Oh, he does. Say, he does end up saying, "Can you take my uh, daughter and my grandson?" Yes, yes, of course. And I mean, that's 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 a good thing to do. But I, I do think that I mean, 
Yeah. There's honestly not a whole lot to talk about this episode, frankly. Like, at the end of the day, this episode primarily comes down to the conflict between Kleingelt and Kessler and, you know, who will acquiesce first. And, yeah. and in service of that, I think what this shows more than anything is what are the consequences of these far-reaching decisions that Reinhardt makes? You know, mm-hmm. this episode regularly cuts back to Reinhardt, you know, standing on the balcony, wistfully staring into the stars, and, like, poet, you know, you know right. waxing right. lyrical about, like, oh, like... I'm sure a small know. unnamed star somewhere is going out. Yeah, But the other yeah. stars will increase their radiance in that place of that star. And it's like, well, Reinhardt, that's a very nice way to put it. <laughs> You know, yeah. your plan to leave millions or billions of people to starve yeah, in your own territory. Justify your actions with this yeah. prose that you came up with. And and that's the thing, right? Like, Reinhardt can dress this up as poetically as much as he wants, but at the end of the day, he is leaving people t- to die, essentially, you know? Yeah. Like, we don't see people, you know, dying of starvation immediately, but that is the intentional implication of his actions is that the FPA will either save these people or they will die. We do get shots of Kirky eyes looking disprovingly upon Reinhardt every yes, time yes. this comes up. I mean, you know, bless Kirky eyes. He is truly the heart of the group. You know, he is the angel to the devil to Oberstein, the devil on, on Reinhardt's <laughs> shoulders, you know, like, Kirkyaz is the one who's like, you know, starving people is bad. <laughs> you know, whereas Overstein is the one who's like, you know. Scorcher's tactics are very effective. Yeah, yeah. But yes, you know, basically the episode ends with uh, Kleingeld staying behind, you know, to uh, to stand with his people. And yeah. uh, Viera and her son also end up staying behind. Yep. Kind of, uh, you know. I guess, you know, solidarity with the people of the planet, basically, you know, and Mm -hmm. Kessler is kind of just left wondering about, you know, you know, the fate of these people. Yeah, Yeah, but they leave like mere minutes before the Alliance fleet arrives. Yeah, literally minutes before the uh, the FPA arrives. The FPA arrives with crates of food and liberty and democracy. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. (laughs) I am convinced, actually... Yeah. Kessler will show up later. Uh, you think just, so? Just because he's voiced by Char Aznable. Ah, well, that would do it. Very high-profile voice actor for this, this seemingly bit role, but yeah, also we have it, like 90 episodes to go. <laughs> I mean, yes, yes. Uh, I, I suspect that many characters we've seen up till now will eventually make their return. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't know how long that takes. It could be 20 episodes or 60 episodes, but yes, I think certain characters might be in it for the long haul. I don't know if Kessler is one of them, but, you know, you are correct. A post-Gundam, uh, <laughs> that guy, that VA, yes, that is, uh, that is a pretty big name to get, and it would be interesting, it would be odd to, uh, to waste him on a single bit role this early on, but, you know, that's just our wild speculation. We, yeah. we don't really know for sure. I mean, we're already making speculation like, well, the guy voiced by, you know, uh, by uh, Wakamoto's got to be pretty important, right? But, you know, we'll see. We will see. Anyways, uh, I think that's uh, that's episode 13. Hero, do you have any uh, yeah. remaining thoughts or? Um, 
no, no, I think it just leads really well into the next episode, actually. Yeah, like, and then let's get into it then. Straight in. Yeah. Uh, of, like, cutting from the Alliance, bringing crates of food and freedom and democracy to the immediate consequences of episode 14. Oh, yeah. Yeah, totally. And on, so... On a different planet, though. Yes, a different planet, but basically episode 14 kicks off with uh, the narrator saying that the FPA have taken 200 star systems... You know, they're they're rapidly entering Imperial space, but of course, this is Reinhardt's plan. So this kind of all has this kind of underlying kind of a feeling of dread to it. But uh, oh, yeah. the FBA kind of lands on a planet and says, you know, we promise you freedom and equality, blah, blah, blah. But then a citizen of the Empire leaves a very good line, a very, I think, <laughs> important line that will, I think, reverberate throughout Legend of the Galactic Heroes for long to come and it is some empire citizen saying before freedom and equality could we have bread and meat <laughs> cuts cuts right to the core there huh? it cuts right to it is that you know democracy you know uh you know uh, liberation you know uh, freedom these are admirable concepts but they are only admirable concepts in a world where the common man's needs are already met you know, where yeah. the common man, the you know, the, the common man can only vote, can only focus on things like democracy and, and representation when, when they're not when they're not focused on surviving. Yes, yes, is when the state is already stable enough that you know they can work. You know, they can they can they can make a living. They can afford to put food on the table and support their families. And in many ways, the FPA's arrival is kind of a very a very radical introduction of these concepts to these people, you know, it's, it's almost reflective of, you know, kind of the United States during the cold war, just kind of knocking on the door of third world countries and being like, Hey, congratulations. You have you're democracy on our, now. You're on our right, yeah. guys? right. 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 And then those countries are like, yeah, that's awesome. I love being allies with America. Are you also going to uh, build infrastructure and the support systems to, you know, to sustain these changes that you have introduced to our society, almost completely sight unseen, and you know, we'll see how F- we'll see how, how how the FPA's answer to those questions well, differs uh, from America's. But Admiral Hogood calls in Ensign Franz Valleymoon and says, "You studied botany, right? You can help these people grow food." <laughs> yes, yes, Franz Valleymoon, who uh, for the first time in the history of fiction. Uh, introduces the you know shows off the usefulness of a botany degree in the military, <laughs> and uh, you know yeah. it is a pretty like weird <laughs> weird specialization to have when you're when you're a military man, but works out pretty well here for France. You know he's uh, yeah. setting up irrigation systems, kind of setting up the infrastructure to to grow crops for the people of the planet. You know things are going well, uh, things are working out. You know the sure. Like feeding the people now is expensive, but eventually they will be self-sufficient. Yeah. We do get um, a cut back to like Alliance Command, where uh, someone's just listing off like how many tons of food yes. and how many, how much machinery and seeds and yes, yes, we uh, we cut back to yes. I was going to say the things are all looking up. 
Until we cut to Kazalu off somewhere else doing the math on the logistics of this operation. You know, the logistics we ignored entirely because we don't need them. Kazanu is like, uh, oh boy, uh, we gotta feed a lot of people, and we don't even have enough food to feed our own people and their people at the same time. And, uh, you know, Kazanu is concerned about these supply lines while Fork continues to be, you know, Commodore Fork or whatever, continues to be a fucking piece of shit. Fuck, fa- fuck Andrew Fork. Yeah, and, uh, you know, fuck Andrew yep, Fork. Indeed. And Kazanu drops the great line, uh, Yang, be careful. This war is too <laughs> stupid to die in. <laughs> and, uh, yes, yeah, then I we mean, got to what, the, uh, what, what has Admiral Lobos decided? Yes, that- so, you know, Lobos, uh, receives this information and basically says, well, it's all up to the council to decide. And so we cut to the council talking about Hey, this war is fucked. We gotta retreat. Like, this is... It is already... We haven't even fought the Empire yet, and it is already apparent how... How badly this invasion is going to go, you know? Yeah. And, uh... Of course, our friend Cornelia Windsor pops in, saying that, uh... Surely, if we just win the war hard enough, the people will embrace us. They will embrace democracy no matter what. Even if they're starving. Even if they don't have jobs. Even if, you know... Even if we left no infrastructure or concrete plans on how we plan to, you know, sustain their lives now that they're no longer part of the Empire, none of that matters because we have democracy. And, uh... Also... So we can't withdraw our troops now because then we'll just look bad for the election. And the whole point of us sending these troops is to look good for the election. It's almost as if we never should have fought this war in the first place. Weird how that goes. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, and, you know, we, uh, we do get a bit of young, you know, this week. He's uh, kind of talking about... You know, if, uh, on the distant level, he's, you know, Yang being Yang sees the writing on the wall. He's, you know, he drops the line about how this is basically just like Napoleon's disastrous invasion <laughs> of Russia. You know, just rushing straight in, you know, yes, taking lots and lots of territory, just like Napoleon did during his Russian campaign. Like, you know, cutting right into the heart of the empire, but almost as if that were intentional. Almost as if we don't have the manpower and the equipment to sustain a campaign of this scale and size. But, oh well, orders are orders. Ugh. You know, And, and now uh, they've received orders to, uh, if, you can't, if you don't have enough supplies for yourselves, just, you know, acquire it, procure it on the spot from, from the uh, captured territory. Yeah, yeah, so Kirikiais gets sent out by Reinhardt to destroy the FPA supply lines, which he does because, oops, we didn't defend our supply lines because we're just moving (laughs) in a thin, straight line. Uh. It's almost as if that is an extremely risky and brittle uh, formation to to organize your fleet in, but... uh, they say there's like there's something like 36 defense ships for like yeah. 500 transports. Yeah, it's almost as if it's almost as if you're a fucking fool, Andrew Fork. <laughs> but yeah, and and Fork is really insidious here because he's just like, oh, just procure the supplies on site, and you know, like some of the FBI guys are like, are you telling us to plunder? And he's like, I didn't say plunder. I said, figure it out on your own. 
And it's so fucking shitty. It's uh, so like like, yeah. like at least like it's it is a contrast, right? We're gonna talk about very cruel, ruthless men. Like Reinhardt is cruel and ruthless, but he is doing it fully knowing what he is doing. I still am There's, going to condemn him like, for Yeah, but he's not trying to necessarily pretty it up. Right. Well, like, like Reinhardt knows exactly what he's doing. He's leaving people to die in an extremely ruthless strategy that only someone like Reinhardt could pull off. And whereas Fork is just like, Fork is willing to do as cruel things, but he's unwilling to come to terms with what it truly means. And, yeah, you know, if you want to contrast between, you know, two, two, two individuals in this story who are, you know, doing some bad things during this war. But uh, but yeah. So the FBA start plundering the town. You know, F yep. Franz is uh, unfortunately kind of caught in a real bad spot. Yep. Uh, turns out rhetoric is worthless and empty without the material means to support it. Who knew? And yeah. and fights and fights starts breaking out. And uh, we Riots. get the great scene where the farmers, sick and tired of having their food stolen by the FBA, are going to do something about it. Come and they're going to do it with yeah. their laser Remingtons. <laughs> Torches, pitchforks, and shotguns. Shotguns, shotguns that shoot, shoot lasers. lasers. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes, yes. So this part is pretty fucking fu- hilarious because you know the, the Empire planets all kind of have that like rustic European look to it. You know, small you know right. farming towns and stuff. So you have these like angry, you know, you have this angry mob with pitchforks and torches and shotguns, but those shotguns still shoot lasers because this is a space <laughs> opera. So. <laughs> anyways uh, uh and obviously in the fighting they accidentally burned the food that they were all fighting over so good right. job everybody real bang up work here good uh, job everyone uh yeah and then we it's finally end this episode doesn't have a good time no valley moon does not have a great time poor france you know again Really caught in a rough spot here, you know, uh, and uh, this episode kind of finally ends with, uh, well, real quickly, Rubin, we have a, we, we, we cut quickly to Rubinsky on Fazan, yep. and in case you hadn't figured it out already, Fazan, you know, Fazan is planning to play both sides. Rubinsky yep. gleefully, you know, reveals in his plans, you know, to uh, financially drain, yes. financially drain both sides. So that Fezan will have financial dominance. Yes, yes. And then we finally get a moment we have all been waiting for. Yes, ever since we saw this in DNT. So Admiral Bucock, bless Bucock, bless this mustache-wearing, hard-ass motherfucker. <laughs> Admiral Bucock is on the the video phone conference, whatever. He, he's on a Skype call with, Ad, with Andrew Fork. And, uh, well, he's trying to call Admiral Lobos. Well, yes, he's trying to call Admiral Lobos because the admirals of the FPA have convened and they have agreed that uh, we need to retreat. We are overextending ourselves, and if the Empire attack us now while we are low on supplies, morale is low, like our logistics is completely fucked, if the Empire attacks now, we will be destroyed. And... You know, a smart bit of politicking here because Yang is kind of the one who really formulates this plan, you know, kind of in agreement with some of the other uh, admirals like That's Yuan Hu. Right. But they have Bucock deliver it because they understand that, look, Bucock has kind of a, a degree of seniority. Uh, the point is he has tenure. He can say he's certain more, he's things. Got more clout. Yes, he's got clout. 
And boy, does he use that clout in this episode <laughs> when when Fork is like, you know, well, you have to talk to me first. You know, all messages to Lobos have to come through me, you know. I expected and, you to act with more honor, Radral Bucock. Yes, yes. Calling out Bucock, calling him as much of a coward as Yang. He says something like, I expected this from Yang, but not you, Bucock. And Bucock just, he's fucking had enough of this shit. He is too old. He has seen too many poorly managed FPA campaigns to to end up playing ball with another one. And he's just like, and he's just like, he's just like, Andrew Fork, you fucking sniveling rat fink coward. You talk a big game, but you have no results. He fucking, Bucock schools on Fork so hard, he goes into a coma. <laughs> uh, fucking, Andrew Fork, the so good <laughs> mental child or whatever yes yes i think it was a green was a green hill i think, uh, I think it's uh i think it's green hill who comes onto the phone next and he's like uh sorry you had to see that you see fork is a fi- you know you, you know what fork is fork is actually a snowflake that's that's what he is he he oof. is he is the yeah. actual snowflake that that certain crowds so love to wrongfully you know attribute to some people he he talks a big game. He talks about making the hard decisions. That if I was, if I was there, I'd do what needs to be done. Yeah, but then when push comes to shove, he doesn't have the gumption for it. He doesn't have the guts to do it. Hell, he doesn't even have the spine to take a verbal beating from a man thousands of miles away. Yeah. I think it is Green Hill who's like, you know, all right, like Bucock, like, let's talk like actual men. And Bucock's like, look, I'm not trying to be an, an asshole here i'm just trying to like we just want to tactically retreat before reinhardt fucking kills us all like reinhardt is probably literally getting onto his spaceship as we speak he is likely coming for us as we speak and if we do not retreat right now you know we are going to be completely wiped out and as we see at the end of the episode when reinhardt literally starts to send out his fleets <laughs> uh Bukalk is entirely correct but but well only Admiral Lobos can uh, issue such a command, and he's having a nap. Yeah. Oh, wow. Taking a fucking nap, and he's not to be disturbed unless you're being actually attacked. And, uh, you know, it's it's the thing of, like, these single individual decisions are not... Or how should I put it? I think a lot of people tend to... You hear that story start, about, like, Normandy, yeah, right? Yes, yes. You hear the story about how, oh, like... Norman, you know, during the the invasion of Normandy in World War II, Hitler was taking a nap and none of his generals, you know, disturbed him because they were too afraid. And that's why the Allies were able to to win at Normandy. And while there may be a kernel of truth to that story, history is never so clean cut. History is not so easily decided by single uh, events, single decisions. You know, what history often is decided by is a series of decisions made by multiple people at different levels of society and what those decisions do is they snowball they snowball into yeah. bigger events and then none, those none bigger these, events have consequences yeah. none of these like single supposedly singular decisions could have even like reached that point without the hundreds of decisions made before that exactly yes you know this we would never have gotten to the point where we're 
depending on Lobos to wake up from his nap if it hadn't been for the disastrous decisions made during the planning of the campaign. We would have never have gotten here if the council hadn't voted on the war in the first place. We would have never have gotten here if Young hadn't won so hard at Ezerlone. It is a cascading series of events that lead into each other, more so than just single decisions made by individuals. Like those, those individual actions can matter greatly, but they only get to that point because of other things that happened beforehand. And so it's not necessarily, I think, that, oh, Lobo's taking a nap doomed the FPA. It's more a lot of things happened up till now that is going to doom the FPA. Yep. And uh, we get our end credits of episode 14 as the settlement just burns down. Yeah. Right? And, and everybody basically dies. And, you know, you know, shit is getting important when the credits is uh, when they're cutting that's into right. the credits and the footage is still rolling. You know, that's that's how, you know, things are getting pretty big and important. Yeah. And boy, <laughs> boy, do they. Boy, do they. Yeah. Uh, Episode 15. Episode 15. Just gonna get right into that, huh? Yeah, yeah. Episode 15. The battle for, uh... Sorry, what's it called again? Battle of Omelitzer. Omelitzer, yes. Which and is, so, uh, to date, the, we are now in, like, new territory. Yes. We're past DNT now. Oh, totally, yes. With this episode, we finally passed DNT. It's kind of a momentous occasion, you know? We, you know, up till now, if you guys have been listening to us, you know that because we watched DNT, the new TV series, we did have some degree of familiarity with the events leading up till now. We didn't know the exact diff- details. We didn't know how it differed from the OVA, but we had a general idea of how things were developing. Yeah, like halfway through this episode is the cutoff. Yeah, we are now we are now in an entirely new uh, new territory, and it's exciting. But uh, let's start from the beginning. So this episode. You know it matters. You know this is a big deal when this episode busts out fucking from the new world. Oh yeah, classic you know, composition. Like, yep, like you know, you're breaking out your fucking, you know, uh, public domain classical music. You know, shit is getting real. Kind of loves this track. They do. It pops they up do. all over the place. And we we start off, you know, meeting our friend, uh, our our man on the ground, our pilot on the ground, Oliver Poplin. You know, in his fucking. You know, Star Wars, Star Duo. Wars, yeah, Rebels ass, fucking, you know, uh, Star Orange White. Yes, yes, yeah. I mean, it's a good look, but even an even better look is, man. I want to bring it up real quick because we never get the, we never get a ton of. We, we, here at Legend of the Glory of Heroes, we like to talk a lot about the story and the characters because mm-hmm. those are kind of the big important moments but this episode is basically one big space battle and so we get to kind of talk about some of the more you know the fun stuff and (laughs) for me i just want to talk about how much i fucking love the ship designs in legend of the galactic heroes like especially these space fighters both (laughs) both the fba and the empire have such fucking good starfighter designs like god damn it like slap three bricks together and two of these bricks have boosters in them yeah it's so good it's so like fucking like grossly utilitarian because like you know let's be honest like in the vacuum of space uh aerodynamics doesn't matter like you know you don't need to actually look like a plane to fight in space like realistically you know you and it's especially it's why I love the ships in in, in this in in this um 
this world, this setting is that both even the even the even the empire and all their like pomp and circumstances still launch what are essentially flying bricks with like you know half a dozen like boosters attached to them and guns on the front, and it's very good. And you can kind of see also that like this episode is kind of where they they were saving their budget for because oh yeah man this episode like. This episode looks fucking fantastic. I'm, so, I'm like, after 14 episodes of, even when they were in space, a lot of it was relatively low key. It's like yeah. fairly slow type stuff, uh, and suddenly just fighters flying everywhere, lasers everywhere, missiles all over yeah, the place. Real fucking macross shit, you know? zooming around. <laughs> it was absolutely wild. It's it's fantastic, and uh, but you know it. Legend of the Galactic Heroes being what it is also manages to uh, still make things matter because we get this cool space dog fight and then Oliver realizes, hey, my fucking laser guns are like calibrated off, you know, like they're they're shooting at the wrong angle. And, you know, so he flies back and he's like, hey, what the fuck, assholes? Like, these are the kind of decisions that get people killed. You know, we find out that uh, maintenance is getting shoddy because... We're undersupplied. We're underfed. Like so because I, I, yeah. Go ahead. Sorry. Go ahead. I just want to talk about how this scene was was just like um, portrayed differently in DNT. Oh yeah, sure. I thought go was interesting. It. Like kind of a difference in writing between the two series is that in this, like we tell the guns are off. He comes in. He yells at the engineers and etc. And they talk about how everyone's everyone's like dying we're all in a bad situation and then we get you know higher up officers on the bridge talking about how we're low on supplies and we're not operating efficiently and the viewer can kind of put two and two together that right because our supplies are so bad like the engineers can't calibrate properly and etc etc but um dnt kind of says it way more straight out of having the engineer say, I haven't eaten in like 12 days because rations go to the, they decided it was more important for the pilots to have eaten. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And it's definitely a different. It's a difference in writing style for sure. And it definitely speaks to the, to the idea that the original OVA, you know, I don't want to get into this like, Oh, you know, to be fair, you need a high IQ to understand <laughs> Legend of the Galactic Heroes. But I think there is an aspect of Legend of the Galactic Heroes where it's going to make subtext, and it's not going to make that subtext apparent. Or or more, it's going to, it has enough faith in you, the viewer, that you will pick up on it. That you don't need it to be spelled out for you. Yeah. And I, I can definitely appreciate that. Yeah. And DNT's way of doing it, like, also, I think it does make it a little more personal with, like, the the engineer but um it's definitely it's a trade-off it's a trade-off for sure because i mean yes the dnt one is a little bit more in your face it's a little it's a little bit more on the nose but also by making it more like yeah but it also makes it a little bit more personal which in some ways is not necessarily a bad thing you know like having officers on the bridge just coldly state oh you know supply lines are thin that's why maintenance is getting shoddy it is it's it's a different way of delivering the same information but, anyways, yeah, you know, uh, 
Yeah, so uh, the There's battle a lot starts. Of space battle going on. Yeah, uh, we see Reinhardt sends out his fucking like his his fucking like elite admiral squad. You know, his yeah. like fucking you know like the guys you would fucking like beat one at a time if this were a video game. You know, like, <laughs> like to the point where I cannot even remember all of their names because there are so many of them and they all have their own fleet. They're, each one of them has their own custom named capital ship. Right. And they all have their own fucking specialty. It's <laughs> Black Lancers and the right. <laughs> you know, Admiral like, Kent Admiral Bittenfeld, Admiral Roenthal. Yeah, we're like, just you know, jumping all over the place. Meyer yeah. and the Beowulf, and it's just you know Wallen and the Salamander. It's 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 just uh, there's too it's so much to keep track of. Like it's and apologies to 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 longtime fans out there. We will eventually get their names right. It's just right now they're busting all these names out there. Right now it's it's hard to keep track. And you know I do think in general Legend of the Galactic Heroes is pretty good about like. Yes, it introduces a lot of people, but if those people matter, the show does a pretty good job of reminding you who they are. So yeah. I'm not too worried. But uh yeah, so we you know, yes, we cut to the battle, you know, uh unsurprisingly, the Empire is fucking housing the shit out of the FPA. It's oh, almost yeah. like we all saw this coming. And uh we Young putting up an alright fight. Yes, yeah, so we cut to the thirteenth fleet where Young being Young. Putting up a pretty damn good fight against, uh, I think he's up against Wallen. Here. It's a real good moment where, uh, or is it? Oh, I can't remember. Oh well. <laughs> anyway, go there's ahead. There's a really good moment here where Yong uh, gets an opportunity and says, "Let's all retreat. We'll withdraw uh, because there's no way we can beat these guys right now, and you know, but yes. and and survive." And we cut to the bridge of the Imperial fleet. And they're like, oh, they're withdrawing. This is, are they actually withdrawing, or maybe is this a trap of some kind to lure us in? And the the admiral says, oh, we're up against Yonquin Lee. It's obviously a trap. Don't chase him. <laughs> yeah, you gotta love Yang's reputation doing his work for him. Like, it is it is very romance of the Three Kingdoms of like, <laughs> no, it's obviously a trick. Like, no, you fool. Like, don't get close to him. Like. Yang always, always purposely looks vulnerable and then springs a trap on you. I bet he's got like a thousand more ships hidden behind that moon or something, you know? <laughs> like, uh, and I do love, I just want to bring it real quick, is that Yang's fucking attack plan. Like, I, I love Yang because Yang is a fantastic admiral, but also he's an admiral who does not mind winning in very ungraceful ways. <laughs> like, fucking Yang's plan for this battle was basically seesawing between attacking the the Empire's, like, left and right flank repeatedly. Yeah. Like, just, like, <laughs> this really <laughs> weird U-formation. <laughs> and, like, Yang doesn't give a shit. He's just there to get results. And, like, and that keeps his men alive. Like, he doesn't care how goofy his, his fleet formation looks. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh... But yeah, and then we cut to uh, Bittenfield and the Black Lancers going up against, uh, I believe, Admiral Yulanhu, you know, one of the... Uh, the more decent FPA commanders, but that's uh, right. Unfortunately, yeah. Yulanhu getting beat to shit, and you know, with the situation's looking bad, and uh, Yulanhu kind of pulls off a pretty daring um, formation here. All, which all we can do is break through the center and at least right. save some of our men. Yes, and so Yulanhu kind of does a very and I mean, we'll talk about this next, but you know, I think Yulanhu is the first half of this contrast in basically. What do men do in times of, right. uh, of uh, 
how do we put it, of emergency, I suppose. Crisis. Like when, of crisis. When, when you are pushed to the brink, when you're pushed to an existential brink, you know, to the brink of this might be it for me, how do different men react? And Yulan, who is one half of this equation, he sees he can't win this fight. He's up against Bittenfield and the Black Lancers, which, again, you know this guy must be a pretty big deal <laughs> if not only... Does he have a custom named unit, but all of his ships are also painted black? So, <laughs> or he's just really full of himself, as we might find out later in this episode. <laughs> sure. But uh, Yelan, who basically uh, um, forms a spindle formation with his most damaged ships on the outside and in the front, and basically pierces through Bittenfield's uh, 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 line, and uh, you know. Pays for it with his life. Dies, but, dies hearing that he saved fifty percent of yeah, his yeah, ships. and and the and the sad truth is it's never enough. You know, it's unless it's a hundred percent, it's never enough. But the fact that Yulan, who was willing to, you know, play to the court right up until the last second, you know, playing his very best, you know, shows you that yes, the FPA is a corrupt and in some ways inherently broken and morally compromised institution, but. It is still filled with good people, you know, like, like like all institutions, regardless of how bad they are, you know, there, you know, there are, there are no good and bad institutions. There are good and bad people. And then, uh, to, to, to get to the other half of that equation, we, we cut to, uh, Admiral Borodin, who I believe is getting attacked by, um, I forget, was he getting attacked by Mitterbeier or Wallen? I want to, I want to say Wallen. Or was it Kirkiais? There's like three. Oh, there's so there's many. like three Empire fleets during this scene, and I don't. It's uh, one of those. Anyways, it doesn't really matter. Point is, Borodin is command of another fleet, and when he sees the writings on the wall, he uh, he shoots yeah. himself. And um, it's right there on the bridge. The right ship. there on the bridge, he sees the writing on the wall and decides, "All right, I had a good run. I'm done." And you know, I am not one of those people. I am definitely not one of those people that's like, oh, suicide is cowardice. That's the coward's way out. But when you are responsible for the lives of millions, when millions of people look to your leadership. Right. And to just it's kind of a dick move. It's a, it's a dick move. Totally. And that's an understatement. Understatement of yes. the year. Kind of a dick move to just <laughs> abandon your post in 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 your most desperate hour. Like, you know, God bless the second in command who, like, just immediately puts on the beret and is like, I'm taking command of this fleet now. I don't know that dude's name, but good on him for, like, being so on the ball because losing your leader like that has has ended, has has gone very, very badly for for some armies in, in, in history. So, yeah. not that it still doesn't go badly for this fleet, but, uh, <laughs> but anyways, uh, Lobos finally... <laughs> Finally wakes up, gets the message that uh, God, what a fucking, what a what a dickhead! This fucking. Uh, uh, anyways, Lobos finally gets the message that hey, shit's going real bad. Uh, we need to retreat to Iserlone like now. Like we need to hold at Iserlone where we can use it as a you know as a yep. stronghold, you know, as an anchor point for our fleets. Because uh, turns out there are no fleets left intact. Literally, Yang's is the only fleet that is like even remotely still in fighting condition. Oh, like, I see no reason for us to all retreat. Uh, yeah, no, we, we 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 still we could still win this. Regroup at Armletzer. Yes. So Lobos commands all fleets to gather at Armletzer instead of retreating to Iserlone. 
because Lobo still has it in his head that, like, oh, we're losing because, uh, I don't know. But if I just gather, if, like, a fucking novice RTS player, if I'm losing this fight, instead, if I just gather all of my units and put them in one place, I'll win this fight. Like, that's literally what Lobos is doing. Lobos is that dude who, like, panics right and, like, yes, like, control all, like, selects all units and then just sends them into the meat grinder. All units. All units. But, uh, and, you know, Young, so Young uh, convenes at Armletzer with, I think, the 5th and the 8th fleet. Because, <laughs> surprise, 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 that's all they got left. <laughs> Yeah. Of the thirteen fleets that they started this invasion with, only three fleets were in fighting were in were in decent enough fighting condition to complete <laughs> to convene an armletzer. Uh, oh boy, where uh uh where uh, they they are getting attacked by multiple fleets. You know, Bittenfield and the Black Lancers, uh, Mittermeier and the Beowulf. You know, Wallen and the Salamander. They're all here and they're all ready to give Yang the beating of pretty, his life. It's pretty decent scenes here where Yang. Is yes. like lament saying like, "Oh man, Lohengrom's got such a talented team." Compared yes, to me. I I do like that. Yes, Yang kind of is like, "Ah oh, man, Reinhardt has a good bench." <laughs> like, yeah, and his his own men yet like admonish him for complimenting the enemy. Yes, and then what is Yang? She's like, he just kind of like fucking shrugs. Like, eh. Sorry, I guess. Like, sorry, but it's true. Like, I, I have nobody on my own side I can depend on. Like, that's the other thing that I think is very interesting about this. Is Yang, there are good men on Yang's side, yeah. but there are not necessarily competent men. Like, Yulan Hu seemed like a decent guy. Bukok seems like a good man, but none of them can match Yang's tactical acumen or even the tactical acumen of Reinhardt's own, you know, chosen admirals. And I think that's interesting. It, 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 it really makes you want to root for Yang even harder because like, he's just one man and he's got to deal with all this shit. Like he can't, it's not just Reinhardt he has to deal with. He has to deal with fucking like 12 other like top of the line admirals who are all like tactical <laughs> geniuses in their own right. Uh, but that's kind of what I love about this is Yang. Yang doesn't go down quietly. Like Yang, Yang knows he's he might not win this battle. Hell, he might not even survive to see at the end of this day. But he is gonna go out fucking swinging, and man, does he! In a uh, fantastic callback to the uh, the Legend of the Galactic Heroes movie. Yeah, to pay him back for that one time. Yeah, drops uh, some fusion bombs into the sun. <laughs> Although I feel like we haven't seen it like. We didn't see it like really explode. Well, I think I think Yang was maybe using a less destructive like like Yang was basically doing the same thing as Reinhardt, where he was using the explosion to like as a back he was using like the backdraft to like boost his ships you know, give them a huge speed boost more than just necessarily, you know, devastate the enemy fleet. But the point is uh Bittenfield overcommits, tries to, you know, try you know, tries to go for the glory and you know cut the head off of the 13th fleet right then and there. And that is exactly what allows Yang to, uh, to, uh, to just get in there and really fuck up Bittenfield's fleet to the point where even yeah. Mittermeier is like, Oh shit. Oh wait, that's Yang. Uh, I'm out of here. Like it's unavoidable. We must retreat. Yes. Yes. Like I do like, I do like that. Yes. For as like, as up against the wall as Yang is like, I am very glad that, there's a party that's very happy that no Empire Admiral underestimates Yang. Like, it would be so easy for 
to like to give Yang the easy wins by just having everybody like underestimate Yang. Just like, oh, it's just one man. We could take him. But no, like <laughs> Well Reinhardt <laughs> Bitfield does, does uh, send his Valkyrie squad, or tries yes. to send his Valkyrie yes. squad. Well, maybe Bitfield is the one who doesn't get that you don't fuck with a with a cornered Yang Wen Lee because <laughs> uh, yes, he tries to send out his 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 uh, his star fighters to a uh, to a uh, permanently you know just cap off Yang's fleet and uh, pays the price dearly. Gets uh, you know I think Bitfield is still alive, but his fleet gets gruesomely maimed by. By uh, by Yang's uh, superior yeah. tactics here to the point where Call, we he finally calls in to Reinhardt and says, yes. "Can I have more ships, please?" Yes, we finally get to we finally get to see Reinhardt get a little flustered here. Where finally, they're like, <laughs> they're like "Hey, Lord Reinhardt, uh, Bittenfield's asking for more reinforcements because he's getting his ass beat," and Reinhardt is just like, he he just fucking loses it in the best way possible. He's just like, "Does Bittenfield think I have a magic jar of fleets?" <laughs> <laughs> fucking tells tells him cut off Bittenfield. I don't want to take any more calls from no him. More, no more calls from Bittenfield. I'm tired of hearing this. <laughs> uh, like, so uh, good. Uh, we have we have not seen petty shitty Reinhardt in, in in a while. So it is good to. It is just always so funny to see Reinhardt get shook a bit, you know. And it's you know yes, alas. Alas, we do not just get to see any of Reinhardt's magic jar this week, but uh, <laughs> uh, very good, very good. Just so it's on episode like 105, is it going to be Reinhardt's losing the battle? <laughs> he opens. He opens. Reinhardt his, opens his magic jar. Yeah, Dawson <laughs> fleet burst forth. Oh shit! <sighs> yeah, but you know, yes, we'll. And yeah, and you know, just Yang, Yang is just too precious. He's too good for us, you know, like like yes, he manages to beat back Bittensfield's fleet. He manages to get Mittermeier to retreat, but you can just see how fucking tired he looks. Like like, A lot like going he, on. he's fighting his hardest, like like Appleton's eighth fleet gets destroyed in the process of this battle. Like like basically what happens is like not that Yang does this on purpose, but one of the I think one of the Empire fleets uh goes for the jugular of the 8th fleet and that's what does give uh Yang the opportunity to uh to strike at their rear. It's only you know, one and then, fleet. Yeah, yeah, and then the 5th fleet is also getting destroyed in the process and it's just like you look at, you know, it's like from Yang's perspective, man, like the 13th fleet is just fucking trying to fucking win this fight, but they know they can't. Like all of Reinhardt's generals are con- or admirals are convening on on Am- Armlitzer. Like all of them, like like Yang can beat back one or two. Or maybe even three, but against like all twelve of them, yep. it, and, uh, it truly feels hopeless for him. And the episode ends with things getting even worse because yes. uh, Yang was defending his back line with space mines. Yes, yes, Yang was but, kind uh, of doing an age old tactic of you know the age the age old defensive tactic of backing up your army, you know, against a a a natural uh, a natural wall. So it's only, you know, defend against the opponent from but, one uh, side. But unfortunately, yeah. this is space. And <laughs> Kirkyai's fleet comes yes. in and uh, destroys the space minefield with directed Zephyr particles. Which is... <laughs> the Kirkyai's special. Right, right. Yes, quickly becoming the Kirkyai's special is uh, flooding the area with Zephyr particles. And then just effortlessly removing the obstacles. And uh, yes, so now Kirkyai is also approaching his battle from Yang's rear, 
And, uh... And we don't know what's gonna happen. Yeah, the episode literally ends! It oh, ends God. with Yelp cut off and surrounded, and then the narrator saying, And so, the Battle of Arblitzer comes to an end. And it's like, you... <laughs> you can't just do that! Oh, man. You can't... That's an even worse cliffhanger than the DNT cliffhanger. Of, of uh, the battle's about to begin. Right. Like so, those who didn't watch DNT, basically DNT ends with the fleets convening at Armlitzer and the narrator saying, "And so the battle for the fate of the universe is about to begin." But and, and that's a horrible cliffhanger because like it, you you just have to know what happens, right? But now that we've seen what happens, it still ends on the cliffhanger. <laughs> oh man! Like uh, next time. Yeah, next time. And now that we don't, now that we're not watching previews, we uh yeah. we don't know what to expect. Like man. Like you know, I'm gonna make like I'm gonna make the very bold prediction. This is not the episode where Yang bites it, but <laughs> boy, do they make it feel like it. <laughs> like, because like, I mean, that's that's the that's what Legend of the Galactic Heroes is so good at, right? Is like we've been talking about it, right? We're on episode 15 of 110. Yeah, and but it feels like it's probably. <laughs> It already feels uh, like the most important thing in the world. And and here's the thing. Maybe it's not. Like, maybe 60 right. episodes from now, we're going to look back on the Battle of Armalitzer and be like, oh, that was such a small, trivial a thing in the long run. But but the way the way that... It makes you feel... Legend of Galactic Heroes is so good. Yes, it makes you feel like this is the most... Like, this this thing right now is the most, most important, important thing in the world. Thing. Yeah. And... And that's the thing. We don't know. We don't know what happens. We, we actually don't know what happens to Young. We don't know what happens to this battle. Like, even if Young actually does lose this battle, like, I don't think Young's going to get captured. I don't think the situation here is Young surrenders and then, like, spends, like, the next 10 episodes in an Empire prison. Like, yeah. Wh- where does this go? Like, how does he escape, right? I like, feel like, yeah. At best, he, like, flees Deezer alone or something. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. But even then, what happens then, right? Like all the other fleets are dead. Like even if Young does somehow manage to escape, you know, but still takes like you know grievous casualties in the process. Like he's only one fleet. What is his one fleet, even with Iserlone and its you know fuck huge cannon, gonna do against you know Reinhardt and his like twelve mastermind admirals? You know. <laughs> yeah. Like, uh, it's just. We all, it's, it's a thing, right? It's like, not just we, everybody, everybody with half a brain on the FPA side knew this was coming and it still happened anyways. It's, it's, it's that thing of like watching a car crash happen in slow motion. Oh, like yeah. you can see it coming from a mile away, but because of the institutional like restrictions in place, there is nothing you can do to stop it. And it's so frustrating. Yeah. Ah <sighs> uh, well, what a but, good show! Though. But what a, what, a, what a good yeah, and what a good episode, right? I, I actually, oh yeah, because we have some extra time, I do want to talk about like talk about this with you, Eros. When we first started doing Legend of the Glorio Heroes, mm-hmm. a lot of people, including us to some extent, made jokes about how you know, oh, we'll look forward to 110 episodes of recapping about you know men standing on ship bridges, <laughs> narrating battles, and right. like. I kind of, I now have to make it a point of contention where that's, like, is that what Legend of the Galactic Heroes is sometimes? Yes, of course. But is that not also still unbelievably compelling? Right, absolutely. Like, like this battle, like, you know, as Iro can attest to, we were, like, on the edge of our seats. Like, we had to, 
like we had to remember to breathe at the end of the episode you know it was so dramatic it was so enthralling yeah yeah i think even with the even though legend of the galactic heroes can be very broad-minded or like potentially dry uh in action like the content is extremely compelling and like yeah it's dudes as you say it's just guys standing around but also what they're talking about is something we really care about and want to hear more about yeah you know, like, totally <clears throat> it's 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 like saying a romance movie is just people talking about their feelings or something, right? Like, yeah, yeah. It's like it's a very reductive way to talk about it. Yeah. And again, it's like, look, anybody who is, I don't think anybody <laughs> listening to Legend of the Glorio Heroes episode five is somebody who's still on the on the fence, like, huh? Should I should I watch Legend of the Galactic Heroes or not? But. <laughs> I feel like, and, and here's the thing, right? Like, I wouldn't even say, oh, if you're new to Legend of the Galactic Heroes, watch 15. Because 15 will have no impact without the without, without the context, yeah. you know? How 114. Without, without the weight. But it is episodes like this that make me push back against this idea that, oh, it's a very dry show. Like, it's not dry at all. Like, oh, there's I'm, so much emotion. Yeah. There's so much drama, you know? Like, like, this show made me care about, like, completely, <laughs> like, not inconsequential, but, like, pretty minor characters like Ilanhu, like and his sacrifice to save his fleet you know like there are these even with the minor characters you know even with like franz and like you know the one planet he's on you know trying yeah. to do his best for the people or kessler you know trying to wrangle with the impossible orders he's been given you still care about them you still you still want the best for them even if they're minor characters, even if some of them will never show up ever again, the show does such a good job of, in the moment, making them seem so important. That is the thing that Legend of Galactic Heroes really gets, I think, is that even with fleets of millions of people and you know battles across the stars, that it's still these it's still made up of these individual people. And, you know, even if it, even if this planet is an insignificant one among the sea of stars, like to the people on that planet, that moment means everything. Yeah. It's their lives, you know? And it's, it's a thing that kind of makes me think a lot about history as well, because as somebody who loves studying history, who loves, who studied history in college, it's, I think history is honestly kind of similar to Legend of the Galactic Heroes, and where it's very easy to characterize it as very dry. Like, oh, what's so special about history? It's all just numbers and dates. You know, it's just, oh, when was this important white dude born, and when did he die? You know, it's like, it's very easy to mischaracterize it as that. But but history is actually, if you, like Legend of, of the Galactic Heroes, if if it is packaged correctly, it if it is sold in a compelling manner can actually be one of the most compelling uh, fields of study out there. History is the story of, of mankind. You know, it is, it is our chronicle of our, our, our achievements, our triumphs, our failures, you know, it's, and the thing about history is that it is also the story of us, the people, you know, of the people, you know, of everything you have felt and experienced and dealt with in your life times, you know, 6 billion, yeah, yeah. 
And I think that's what Legend of the Galactic Heroes does so well. Like, it is such a deep and compelling setting. Like, or, or it is such a deep and complex setting, actually, to, to, to use a better set of terms. But it anchors it so it anchors it so well with such a compelling cast of characters. You know? Yeah. <sighs> yeah. <laughs> and we're only 10, 12 percent in. Oh my god. I can't we are 15 episodes in, dude. What the Oh What are we gonna be saying in 30 episodes? I'm I can't curious. handle this. I need to know. <laughs> yeah. But uh Next, <sighs> next time will yeah, be episodes so, 16, 17, and 18, I guess. Yes, yes. So next two weeks from now, we will be discussing episodes 16 through 18. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know, man. This show I know, is so I can't much. even conceive of what's going to go yeah. on. Like, it's very unique, isn't it? It's because yeah. the setting is so complex. It's so deep. It's so, you know, kind of just gargantuan in scale it that's what makes it so uniquely capable of evoking so many of the elements it can that i think you know 99 percent of anime just can't do 99 percent of stories period really you know yeah not just anime but like this is the like it is the kind of you know to compare it to like you know literature this is the kind of story that can only be told in like you know a twelve novel series yeah. or something. This is why people like Lord of the Rings and stuff, right? Yeah, like, yeah, totally. Like it's the kind of storytelling that can only come as a result of of a story that is willing to go that deep. <laughs> but uh, yeah, <laughs> man. It, it, yeah, like we were we were catching our breath after watching episode fifteen. I feel like we're catching our breath just talking about talking episode about fifteen. Episode 15. It's, yeah, it's it's so much, but it's also like it is. These are the moments we live for in Legend of the Galactic. I Heroes. understand. I feel like I understand now why everyone who's seen Legend of the Galactic Heroes just says it's the best sci-fi totally. anime. I, like, it, it, I definitely understand it now. You know. And I definitely get why, you know, the moment anybody brings up Legend of the Galactic Heroes, everybody's falling over themselves to talk about it, because it very much is an anime worth talking about, even in 2018. Yeah. And uh, <sighs> I think on that note, we're going to uh, we're gonna call this a podcast. So mm-hmm. uh, let's uh, take care of some basic housekeeping. You can listen to the podcast uh, and the rest of uh, the Glorio blog's uh, content on theglorioblog.com. You can follow us on Twitter at theglorioblog. You can listen to the podcast uh, on both iTunes and YouTube, you know, um, at theglorioblog. Or I don't actually know. We Okay, look. All right. I'm going to level with you guys, okay? <laughs> we We can't have a unique youtube url until we have at least 100 subscribers yeah so get on that so i'm just gonna go maximum shill here (laughs) like and subscribe especially subscribe so that we can finally get a unique url instead of a you know fucking jargon of letters and numbers um leave a review tell your friends tell your enemies uh and i think that'll do it thanks for listening Hero, you have any uh, remaining thoughts? Make sure you can watch Legend of Galactic Heroes on High Dive. Yes, thank you for reminding me. And, uh, you know, I think I think on that note, we're going to call that a podcast. So, once again... Yeah, thanks for listening, everyone. Yes, thank you all for listening. Thank you, Eero, for continuing to accompany me, accompany me on this journey. 
Thank you. And uh, we will see you all once again amongst the Sea of Stars.